You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to Grow Law Firm Podcast. I have an amazing guest here with me today. His name is Eric Gross de Bois. I hope I pronounced it correctly. And yes, you did a great job. Eric is a founder of EPGD Business Law Firm. And I believe you have three locations, DC, Miami, and I forget the third one. Is that correct? Uh, so actually, it's an interesting backstory, but COVID changed everything. So now the, the only real manned office is Miami and every other office is by appointment only and is either a virtual office, uh, like in a WeWork or uh, in, a, in somebody else's law firm. Got it. So the reason why I really wanted to get you on this podcast, my team selects and selects top business minds who are running their own law firms. Well, not legal minds, but top business minds. So one of the selection criteria is that you have to have built a sizable law firm in a fairly short period of time, which is exactly what you did. I believe that you started your law firm after given an impossible option by your former boss about 10 years ago. And as of the last count, because I listened to some of your content, I believe that you had upwards of 45 people, and this is over a year ago, and you were growing incredibly rapidly. Is that correct? So we're right today at 50 employees, and 25 of them are lawyers. That is an amazing accomplishment in short 10 years. How'd you do it? I guess a lot of it was getting lucky. Being in the right place at the right time, I had good mentors who were generous with their advice and generous with their wisdom. And I got to tell you, I only have one speed. I know a lot of people that have different speeds. I only have one speed. So when I put on the suit and tie, I'm going full steam ahead. And so I, I guess the first answer to your question is I spent about 35 hours a week networking for the first seven years. So every time I went somewhere, I was trying to get business cards and then trying to turn those business cards into coffee dates and then trying to turn the coffee dates into referrals and then trying to turn the referrals into clients. And so that was the first part of the, of the equation. The second part, I hired my first employee after about a month, like from one month of opening my doors, which, you know, my girlfriend, I'll give her a shout out, Deirdre Nero, immigration lawyer. It took her over 10 years to hire her first employee. Right. So she was truly one of these solo lawyers that was, you know, and to this day, she's the best immigration lawyer I know, but that's just it. She'd rather be a lawyer than be a business person, which is a real struggle. I know I have a lot of peers that are excellent lawyers, but have a hard time translating that into, you know, being a business person or running a successful business. So by hiring early, what I was able to do was do more marketing. Right. I, I just understood that, like, at the end of the day, you could be the smartest lawyer in town, but if you don't have any clients, you're not going to be able to feed your family. So I, I, it's funny. I, I actually had an associate. This is a few years ago. A guy accepted and then withdrew his acceptance of a job offer. And I checked in with him about a year later and he goes, yeah, I just, at the time, I couldn't wrap my head around why the founding partner was really the chief marketing officer. And I was like, well, because if I don't keep bringing in the clients, you're not going to have anything to do which is funny. I've never called myself chief marketing officer, but I guess that's one way of saying what I do. 
but 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 you are and i think it makes perfect sense like steve jobs was the chief marketing officer without having that official title but he was the chief marketing officer of apple that's uh, the most valuable company in the world right so, right and you know i think about that a lot like like steve jobs might have made the first computer but after a while he was not in the back oh the not at you know yeah so that's another part of the evolution i to a very large extent, don't practice anymore. I, I, I have zero cases assigned to me in my firm, and we have over 500 active cases at the moment, and I don't have any of them, uh, and that's by design. My partner, I have a partner, I brought on a partner about halfway through, so about five years in, and part of the division of labor was I needed someone who could be a little bit more hands-on on managing the cases and the associates, again, so that I could continue what I was doing outside. Like it grew to a point where we really needed a senior person who was gonna be supervising and I couldn't do both. So I brought on Oscar uh, with that objective. And then I, I tease him about it, but his main, my, his main flaw in my eyes, and he would disagree, is that he really likes to practice law. Like he likes to go to court and he likes to win and he likes the thrill of, of you know, having a judge rule in his way and I'll tell you a quick little story. So I was asked by a friend to be um, deposed in one of his cases. So a little little known fact, corporations can nominate anyone they want to do a deposition. So I was the corporate records uh, deposition person. So I said to my friend, I said, well, okay, I'm happy to do it, but first of all, I'm gonna charge you. And second of all, I don't know anything about the case. And he goes, it's, it's okay. We'll pay you a 50% premium on your time, on your normal hourly rate, and you can spend as much time as you want, unlimited budget. I think when it was all said and done, it was like a $15,000 invoice and they paid it in five minutes. Like I, they paid it on the, on the spot. But guess what? I missed eight days maybe of, uh, I did no networking, I did no selling, I did no marketing, I did no mentoring, I did no management. And in my eyes, like that was a complete waste of my time. I might've made $15,000, but what did I not make, right? I, I might have missed a case by not being at a networking event. I might have missed signing up a case that would have made two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So, so I always think about it this way: our time is not scalable. The only way we can leverage our time, and I think you mentioned that in another podcast recording, you said that a wise man who you once met in a bar said that you could get rich by leveraging three things. Well, that was time, and I think that was the last one out of the three. The second one was people, and the first time was. I'm drawing Blake right now. Capital. Capital. The easiest one. If you right. have it. If you have it, it, it's great. And that's what you should, everyone who has capital should leverage it. What I'm really doing here is leveraging the other two. I leverage yeah. I, I leverage people and, and time. And I really try to teach them. So, you know, back, I, I, it is a law firm. So I am dealing with lawyers and, and clients with legal problems. And I talk to the lawyers all the time and I'm trying to make them understand that not all hours are created equal. Like, you know, an hour of, of you know, organizing the papers on your desk that you can't bill anyone for versus an hour of working on a client that sometimes pays their bills and sometimes doesn't versus an hour of working on a guy who's A plus and he, and he loves you and, and pays his bill immediately. Like those three hours are very different. But, but there is another type of power, and that is the one that's highly scalable. If you go and speak in front of a group of peers, whether there are two, three hundred attorneys who can refer business to you in the future, that power is significantly more valuable 
than any of the previous three hours that you have mentioned. And this is why, and I'm astonished to hear that in the first, I believe you said seven years, you spent 35 hours of your time every week on networking, which is my blow. Most lawyers, as you're probably aware, are very introverted and getting them to spend an hour a month on networking, mm. that's hard. 35 hours per week. So break this down for us. 35 hours per week spent on networking. When did you practice law? Did you practice law? I want to add one more thing. I love it that you hired your first assistant a month after you started a law firm because as another incredibly wise gentleman who I had on this podcast, Brad Tremblin noticed, in the podcast and in his book, he said that if you do not have an assistant, you are the assistant. That's a good one. I know Brett pretty well. Um, so that's just oh, wisdom. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, he, I consider him a peer and he and I are cut very from the same cloth. I think we even have the same haircut and uh, we started our firms around the same time. They've both grown similarly in similar practice areas. And you know, when it's a peer um, because they're opposing counsel all the time. So the type of people that are hiring me, the opposing sides are hiring him. So that's, it's a lot of fun. I had a, I actually had drinks with his uh, chief litigation officer a couple of days ago, Arturo Arca, great guy. But yeah, Brett makes a really good point. And, uh, and, you know, it kind of, let me say this, in the beginning, right? You got lots of free time because you don't have many clients. So it was a lot of networking. And then when I, my first hire was actually not an assistant, it was a law clerk. So it was a law student. One thing that's nice in Miami is we have, I think, four law schools right around. So that's, you know, if you consider they usually don't work their first year, so they can work their second and third year. I was doing the math the other day. It's usually like 300 per class. So there's two years per school, four schools. So there's 2,400 law students in the area who can work part time. And for me, uh, and talk about scaling and growing, that was the secret was hiring scalable people. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. So my first law clerk, I was like, Hey, I can only afford 10 hours a week. And she said, great. And then later I had a little bit more work and I said, Hey, can you do 20? And she said, yes. And also like I was, you know, if you think about it, especially my, the law clerks at the time I was paying $15 an hour. So I was essentially interviewing this person over an extended period of time. And I got to know her really well. I got to know what her strengths and weaknesses and if she was clever and smart um, and how hardworking and dedicated, you know, was she the type of person to leave at five or would she stick around and, and put in the hours to try to get better? And then later on, not, not that much later on, let's see. So about five months in, had the exact same conversation with my first assistant. Started at 10 hours, went to 20 hours, went to 30 hours, went to 40. And then about a month later, I hired my first associate. Same thing. It was a burned out lawyer that was working part-time and 10 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours. So for me, it was like, I wasn't, I wasn't going from one lawyer to two lawyers, which is a hundred percent jump. I was going from one to 1.25, which was, you know, easier, easier to, to scale. You know, my girlfriend, again, she's having this trouble because she's the only lawyer in her firm. So if she adds one more, you know, that that's a big jump. Whereas, you know, when, once we got to 20 or so, I didn't even really notice like going from 20 to 21, like it, sure. I, I imagine, yes, it impacted our payroll and our, it impacted our bottom line in some ways, but I didn't even feel it. It didn't change the way I slept at night. Very, very smart. I'm sure that you have had this conversation with your girlfriend numerous times 
but why doesn't she move forward and adopt some of the tactics that you have implemented, obviously, so incredibly well? I don't know. It's a great question. And maybe she could be a guest on one of your future podcasts. But she, uh, like I said, she, she's an amazing lawyer. And if she was listening, I would tell her to try to find someone like me and become a partner and to consider teaming up. And, and so that's the mindset I had when I brought on my partner. Like I was like, I can be the 100% owner of a small law firm or with this guy allowing me to scale much, much faster than I can be, we'll just call it the 50% owner of a law firm this big, right? And hopefully it'll keep growing. Yeah. So I think that you're definitely in a, a small and I dare to say elite group of lawyers because you have the business acumen, whereas most lawyers, and I think it's the truth. I speak directly one-on-one -on -one with at least a couple hundred lawyers a year. I dedicate one hour a day to speaking with an attorney, whether it's to mm. podcast or just one-on-one -on -one conversations, because I am as an executive of our marketing company, will always want to keep my hand on the pulse and understand what people in the target market are actually going through. So I think what puts you into this elite group, and you mentioned this right on your website, that you think like a business owner, whereas majority of lawyers are, they think like technicians, like specialists in law, and thus the final outcome, and outcome that you experience throughout the years is incredibly different. People who have business acumen, who happen to be attorneys, usually tend to build something valuable, probably work fewer hours because they can, have less stress in their life because they don't have to worry about how to make payroll. They don't have to worry about making deadlines because you focus on a different thing versus probably the other 90% or 90 plus percent who do have to worry about those things. So I think it's just this, it's business acumen and developing a very predictable revenue engine for your law firm. So there is that business that's always coming in so you do not have to worry about finances, which I once again, haven't spoken to so many thousands of attorneys over the years. I find that it is rare despite incredible legal acumen that most of these people uh, do, do have. You know, I, I completely agree with you. And again, my girlfriend, amazing lawyer. She's scared of numbers. She's running her firm like so many other, and I imagine small business owners, but also law firm owners, where the only number they know is their bank account number. Like, and, and I mean the balance. Like, that's the only number. I'm like, what's your ROI? ROI. Think about ROI for a second. Most lawyers have no idea what that even means. And I'm thinking, like, what is my return on investment for every employee, for every everything we do here? So here's a number I crunched. And I and this is something I've been trying to work on for a while. So what I realized is the lawyers are the, the economic engine of the firm, right? And then they have the support staff. So you can divide up your employees in two groups. The people that bill and generate revenue and the people that don't. So you can call them values or cost centers or profit centers, right? So um, my marketing department is in a way a cost center. My attorneys are a profit center. So what I did is I added up all the expenses of the firm, which by the way, in total overhead is only 30%, which means the other 70% is, is payroll. That's, that's always scary. So, so all the expenses of the firm and then plus the non-billing employees. So whatever that is, so the rent, the software, the Westlaw, everything, plus all the non-billing employees, and then I divided it by the number of billing attorneys we have. And that number is roughly 
So that means each attorney is responsible for $10,000 of the overhead of the whole place. Then you've got their salary, right? So they all want to be making at least $10,000 a month, right? At least. So, so then you add that. So right there, we're at 20. So that attorney has to generate $20,000 of revenue per month in order to, in order for us to make $1 of profit, um, or I should say just to break even. And so I spend a lot of times trying to crunch those types of numbers. And, and then what I, what, what's really difficult, and I completely agree with you, is then somehow translating that into ways to motivate my attorneys to make sure that we're not only hitting our goals, but exceeding them in a way that they feel fairly compensated and then covers the overhead and then fairly, you know, as, a, as, a, as an investment of my time and my money, right? I want to get a return on my investment, which if it's done right, I think you can agree with me, owning a law firm can be one of the most profitable investments if it's done right, you know, in all these little these little moving things. So, you know, I, I maybe, and I'm just thinking out loud, maybe more lawyers either need to take some business classes or be honest with themselves and hire maybe a fractional CFO or someone who can help them with uh, understanding the numbers that are right there that they just aren't looking at. Brian Kibler is a great fractional CFO who I had on the podcast a couple of times. One of the things that we did talk about early in one of the first episodes that they did with him, he said that most attorneys, law firm owners, the very common mistake that they make, they either hire their associates too soon or not soon enough. <laughs> and they asked him, what, what's the magic formula? And we went over the numbers and he said that you're ready to hire your first attorney when you're ready to give them three and a half to four times amount of business in billable in billables of what you're paying them. So if they cost you a hundred grand, Either they have to generate $350,000 worth of business, or you have to generate $350,000 worth of business, or there has to be a hybrid between what they bring in and what you bring in for them. Otherwise, you're not making money. And they ask him to break down that number. Why? He said, well, think about it this way. You're paying them hundred grand. Your payroll talk taxes plus benefits are another 29%, give or take. So now it's about 30. Do they need support stuff? Yes, they do. Now they could be 150, 160, 170, depending on how much support staff they go to need it, how you spread that cost across multiple attorneys. What about an office? Do they need an office? If they do, well, there's an additional cost. What about if you are generating business for them? What's the cost of generating that business? Depending on the practice here and how competitive your geographical market is, you could easily be investing between 10 and 25% of the case acquisition cost. After all was said and done, at the end of the day, that gross or that net pre-tax profit margin was twenty to twenty-five percent. If that attorney was cranking out three hundred fifty to four hundred thousand dollars in gross business, and that's where you want to end the year. I agree with all of those numbers. So I will say this: I have never hired an attorney, with one exception, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll explain. But I've never hired an attorney that I expected them to generate work. I would love them to. I will reward them for it, but that is not the expectation. I am not hiring somebody because they're going to be able to feed themselves. I'm hiring them. I, what, where we've been for the last like probably five years is I know I need to hire someone when everybody is running at capacity. So if everybody's at a nine, and I know that people are going to burn out, and I know that it, you know I need to I need to take it down a little bit. I'll hire someone new, bring everyone back down to a six or a seven. Then the new person gets on board, and then once it, everyone starts creeping back up to a nine, I'm like, okay, time to hire again. And so what I really try to do is keep my finger on the pulse of, of how busy. Although I got to say this, for any 
law firm owners listening, there's a funny Seinfeld episode where George Costanza realizes that if he just looks angry when he's at work, his bosses will think that he's uh, think that he's really busy. And so what I realized is I was asking, him, <laughs> I was like, hey, how are you? <laughs> and everybody knew that the right answer was 10. And I was like, oh, wait, they're just lying to me. <laughs> That's awesome. I do remember that episode. Wow. <laughs> Seinfeld. Um, so there is a really interesting point. And this is something that you said a few minutes ago. You said the, the principal is the economic engine of the law firm, right? You do not hire attorneys to generate new business. You hire them to work on the cases. So are you the primary economic engine for your law firm? I used to be. And we evolved in the last four years where now our Google, the Google machine generates most of our leads. And it's all organic. We have never paid for, uh, we've never done pay-per-click. We don't do ads. We just put uh, content. So we have over, I think, three or 4,000 blogs. And we're being rewarded with first page listings organically on Google. So that took, you know, took seven years to build. Uh, the, the first seven years, I don't think I got any leads from the internet. And then one day, it was early covid the phone was ringing and I'm like, how'd you hear from us? And or I didn't say this, my assistant, whoever answered the phone. And they said, uh, how'd you hear from us? Or how'd you hear about us? And the person responded, oh, I found you on Google. And we were like, wait, what? And then it's like the floodgates opened and we're averaging 12 leads a day and 10 of them are Google. And then two of them are the good old fashioned word of mouth, you know, my accountant, my, my other lawyers, 10 versus two, it's, it's really crazy. So that's the, that's the economic, I mean, that's the marketing engine right now, you know, that, and, and then, so I said there was one exception. So the one exception is, and we were going outside of our box. Um, we have never done real estate. And so uh, a friend of a, uh, a, a friend of one of my partners was like, Hey, my little brother has 10 years experience. He has a modest book of business would you consider bringing them on? And we're like, okay. So this is the first time I've ever hired someone where they have to feed themselves. Feed me. Well, well, you can check back in in a few months and see how it works. Oh, very interesting. And I want to throw another idea your way. And that is, why not create a, we'll call it a sales academy within your law firm so that every attorney becomes a small revenue agent for themselves and for the firm. Lawyers are really smart people. They can pick up skills really fast if you give them the right information, do some training, take them by the hand, put them out there in the real world, do a little networking so they get comfortable, and all of a sudden you will go in. I'm just going to throw a number out there. So 25 attorneys, I'm going to say that average attorney generates about three fifty dollars to $400,000. Use so your law firm should be somewhere in the vicinity of eight to $12 million in, in, uh, in gross revenue. If you train them how to do what you've done, you can potentially increase that revenue by 50% without spending any more money. It could be 70%, it could be 100%. And you teach them, what's that proverb? You can give man a fish and he'll eat for a day, or you can teach them how to fish and they will never be hungry. So you instinctively learn how to fish. But everybody else will starve if your economic engine sputters for some reason. Yep. 
So build that academy. Make sure that there is a lot of role playing there. It will feel funny at first, but everybody does role play from military to high end executives to the executive branch of our government. Everybody does role play. It's an absolutely must have part of your training. So you do that in three years, your law firm can be transformed because all of a sudden you have 23, 25, 30 attorneys that are their own economic engines. They will hate it at first, but in six months, they will thank you. So I, I'm only going to do one twist on that. Um, part of our culture is I will never force anyone to do something they don't want to do. That's just part of my culture. And, and, and you got to remember, these lawyers, they think they're really smart and they think they should be paid just for being smart. And they went to school to be smart or because they're smart. So here's the way we do it. If you want to network and sell, I will train you. But you have to come to me and ask for it. It's part of it's part of the reason why I left my last job. Ironically, was because the guy was forcing me to network and sell against my wishes. I was. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, that was part of it. It was definitely one of the straws. Uh, I didn't hear and, the whole story. I, th I think he, he told you to either take a thirty percent pay cut. That was part of it. Or, that was on mm -hmm. February twenty sixth, two thousand thirteen. <laughs> it, it, it's memorialized forever. It's the day I created the firm. It's on the, the Florida Corporation's website. Good for you, sir. Good for you. I mean, this is an incredible story of success. Just, just for reference, 33% of all attorneys, and that's roughly 450,000 people, are solos. Another 33% work or own their very small law firms under 10 attorneys. The other 33, 34% are distributed across larger boutique firms like yours and are very few of you, very few of you. The rest work for large law firms and for the government. So you are like in a very, very small, very elite group. So if you're listening, right. you're watching. Yeah, if you're, yeah, there's BLS. BLS produces stats on your industry every year. So last time I reviewed it was last year for 2021, median income in the United States for an attorney. And I believe median tenure was about 18, 20 years. Median income was $127,990. Depending on where you live, that could be decent income or you could be borderline poverty light, right? So a yeah. lot of areas in DC where you used to be or in Chicago where I am, $128,000 doesn't go all the way. I, uh, in Miami, it, it, you know, it used to go a lot further. Mm -hmm. Northern. All the all you northerners moved down here, and our rents and our uh, property taxes skyrocketed. Yeah, yeah. So, so one twenty-eight million income to make it into the top ten percent—that's two hundred nine. This data is about eighteen months old. We're recording this in July of twenty twenty-three, but it's not ancient data, so it hasn't changed very much. Typical professional service company grows at the rate of four point three percent year over year. This applies to law firms. If you're growing at the pace of 20, 25%, you're one of the fastest growing companies in your sector. Most really smart attorneys stop who I talk to, and I talk, again, I speak to so many every year, stop practicing law just like you did. It is infinitely less profitable to practice law than being an effective CEO of your law firm. Your hours as a lawyer are not scalable. It is impossible. Like you cannot bill 180 hours a week. Can't do it. 
But if you have 20 other people working for you, guess what? It's very scalable. Very scalable. And if you teach them how to fish, oh my God, it's a different world. I'm intrigued. So I'm definitely going to put, put a lot of thought into that. And, and also, you know, even just thinking about the ones who do want to, making them better, right? Making them. Yeah. Have an academy. Have an academy. Like, like, like you used to dedicate 35 hours a week to networking. Now dedicate five, eight, maybe 10 hours a week to developing your people and the ROI that is going to be enormous, especially if you document all of your teachings in video format so that you as a teacher become scalable. It's so easy to do today. Any plugin like Vimeo, we're using Vimeo for most of our record, training video recordings, just does it. It just does it. So, yeah, right, it was Sasha, so like- great to have you on the podcast. I am going to follow up with you in about three months, four months from now, and see what investments you've made. I'll tell you about the EPGD Academy. That was great. Thank you so much. It was a Thanks. pleasure. Likewise. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.